0: The news to live. Of course, I was programmed chair. I belonged outside of the meetings. Uh, I'm an addict. My name is Bill. And uh, first thing I'm going to say, if you can't hear me in the back, come up front. Uh, second thing, you need to do me a favor. So I can share and you got to get up and hug the person inside of you because I need that strength of you. you're gonna to have to bear with me uh, been been on the road since three o'clock in the morning uh, basically got about an hour's sleep in the car since uh, yesterday morning when I woke up uh, the wife told me I was insane I've been so right just what you did is what you did to me when I first came in narcotics anonymous you hugged me and you cared for me and brought me back to life I think that's the most important thing that ever happened to my life. So I came to Narcotics Anonymous in 1979, and I come here beat, lost, wanting to die—the most down period of my life. You know, and, uh, things I had to deal with today. You know, my—I was upstairs in the bedroom, and my wife came up the other day, and she said uh, she was crying. And I asked her what what was wrong, and she said my uh, ex brother-in-law had hung himself, called up his, uh, my wife's sister and uh, told her don't, don't worry I'm just letting you know by the time the cops get here I'll be gone and he was an addict. He was in treatment since he was nine years old, he was uh, 28 years old and he hung himself and that's addiction. First thing I know, the, the, our addiction does not want us in this room tonight. It does not want us together. It wants us separated, it wants us angry at each other. It wants us harming each other. And that's the first thing I had to come to grips with is that there's a we program and that I'm the addict, and I need you. And that was a hard thing to, to buy when I came here. Because I spent about five years in a chapter recovering relapse before I got here. Go on all over the different places, other fellowships, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, churches, seeking help. I didn't come here to quit doing drugs. I come here to, because I want to stop the pain. I want to stop hurting. I didn't know how. I was gonna, I was gonna do my life in, in, in a special way. See, I'm one of them people that didn't know how to commit suicide. I'm one of them people that couldn't cut my wrist or hang it up or run, run tubes into my car or drive over cliffs and take my life. My way of suicide was to, as I was planning it the last, the last night bef- before uh, someone reached out to help me. I didn't reach out for help, someone reached out and, and helped me. She picked up the newspaper and she was a person who worked with me for over two years. And um, she knew I needed help and she, she read my name in the paper and I was up for assault and battery on a police officer for the 11th time. And she read that paper and she called my house up and I was contemplating how to die that night. And how I was contemplating how to die was I was getting my weapons ready and I was going to go up to a bar that I knew that uh, It was a Spanish bar, and I was going to open up. And I was going to take everyone out that night with me, and I was going to get the front page of a newspaper, and it wouldn't have been written up as addiction. It would have been written up as insanity. It it, it would have been written up as a biker war. And I would have went out with full colors in front of the people that I associated myself with. I would have died with my honor, is the way I looked at it. I was a coward. I could not face life on life's terms. And that was the, the first thing that I found out when I come in Narcotics Anonymous. I come in here and I come in here as a tough guy and I looked around the rooms and I realized something. I looked around the rooms and I looked at all these people and I couldn't make it on my own. And, and the realization what happened was a spiritual awakening When I realized that these wimps were going to be the people to save my life. They were the people that were going to care for me and teach me. These were the people that I wouldn't associate myself with out there. They were the people that I made fun out of, called names, beat on, humiliated. And these were the same people that loved me and cared for me and put their arms around me when I was crying. And that was a humbling effect for me. You know, I start using at the age of five. Uh, I start using because my father was an addict and he forced me into drinking with him. Our our, uh, basic text talks about alcohol as being a drug. So I start using at the age of five as being my father's drinking partner when he had no one else to drink with at three, four in the morning. I'm one of them abused children. I have five sisters. Uh, We're all abused. I I lived in a household that was very unsettled. Uh, And it's always hard to talk about the things that went on in the household. See, because I was taught that you don't share them things with the people. I was afraid of being put away. I was afraid of being locked up as a child. And I was comfortable in in the situation that I was living in because I was accustomed to the environment. I was a victim of a victim and I, it was very painful for me as a child. The pain of addiction was in my life from start. It may not have been mine to start with, it was my father's, but the addiction ran rampant in my family and the addiction controlled my life right from start. The only thing I knew was addiction until I got here, active addiction, I knew nothing else. I don't know what a normal lifestyle is I never did and never seeked it. What I seeked was how not to feel the pain, how not to be my father's punching bag, how not to watch my sis- sisters being sexually molested in his, in, his black, when he was, in his blackouts, how not to watch him shooting weapons in my bedroom at my sister and out the window at my mother. And that's my childhood. I always wanted what the next child had. I wanted their parents. I wanted a dad to take me fishing. And that's what I wanted growing up. You know, when we start looking at our inventories and stuff, you know, and and we start looking for assets, they were very hard to find for me because I had to go back. I had to go back to when I was a child that was very painful. And I had to find things that, that, that were real special to me. And I want to talk about some of the softness. I want to talk about being a soft child. I want to talk about liking to help old people. Because there were things I I used to like to do. Didn't matter. I shoveled people, old, old ladies walks that no one wanted to help. Women that couldn't get out of their homes, that were afraid of society. And I helped them people. It didn't matter if they paid me or didn't pay me. They didn't have anything to give. But I, they, they, were, they were cast away from society as like I was. I seeked my own. They were isolated the way I was isolated. And I helped these people. And I found out there was something in me that cared for other people back then. And that was the part I buried with drugs. That was the part that I lost. That was the part my addiction took from me. My, the addiction took from me is when one of them old ladies used to pay me by giving me irises. I don't know if anyone knows what irises is, but I had the nicest garden in the neighborhood. I had 159 different irises. And boys don't go talk that stuff to other boys. Okay? Because of what society says. Well, them are things I like to do. I like to garden. Them are things that the addiction took from me. The addiction took from me communicating with other people. The addiction took from me being able to get through school. The addiction took from me was it, it gave me insecurity and I wasn't secure in what I was doing. I had no faith in myself. I had no faith in anyone else. I, and I found that out when I walked through the doors here. When you cared for me and loved me and brought me back to life. Where no one else could touch. you. You touched. It's because of you that I am where I am today. It's because of you that I have a family, that I have a home to go to. It's because of you that I have a sponsor that loves me and cares for me. It's because of you I have a program today in my life. It's because of you my little children get up in the morning and not have to fear their father. I can go pick my daughter up at daycare and she comes running to me and jumps in my arms. It's because of you that all the children in the daycare is I'm the cool dad to them. I'm the cool father image. I'm the guy that talks to all the children in the daycare when I go pick up my daughter. But you're the people that made that possible for me. That's something I didn't have before I got here. The enjoyment of watching other people smile and care and, and to have that peace. But it didn't come easy because I came here full of images. and that became the walls, the bricks in the walls that I had to remove to be able to touch that, that child inside once again. You know, and uh, you taught me some things that were real and I'm going to try not to curse. I'm going to try not to use foul language here tonight. Okay. Uh, You taught me something when I first come here and and uh, Ohio is a special place for me because I have a lot of friends in Ohio. The Tri-State is very special to me because I have a lot of friends from Tri-State. But when I come to Narcotics Anonymous, there was something going on in Narcotics Anonymous that was real special. There was something that was happening. There were lights in people's eyes. We, there were, I don't know, a lot of energy. They were writing something. They were writing a book called Narcotics Anonymous. And they were saying that you can be involved. They were touching me with their spirits. And that's what attracted me was they were touching me with their spirits. They were telling me I didn't have to use no more and that I could be involved and that I was someone special. They gave me the confidence in myself. And I, I threw things back at my, at my second sponsor. Oh, be aware of treating your uh, babies well because they may be your sponsor. I can tell you that because I've become my first sponsor's sponsor. When I had a year clean, he called me up from a cornfield trying to tell me he was in the middle of the field on a, on a pay phone for he relapsed. And I was lost at that point because that was a man who cared for me. And he was, yes, he was crazy and insane and he was like me. But the thing that happened was I, I become his sponsor and I become sponsorless. And I didn't know what Narcotics Anonymous was when I had a year clean. I struggled. I went to meetings daily. Didn't matter, I just went to meetings. And that's all I did. I white-knuckled recovery. I don't, I wouldn't expect any people I sponsor to have to go through what I went through. Because it was very painful in recovery. And a year clean, I, I lost my job. Uh, it I got returned, but I, I, I did a real, I did something real spiteful. I, I caused the company I worked for about $2 million. I, uh, on purpose I jackknifed uh, seven submarines of big submarines of, of hot iron that was ready to go into the furnace and I jackknifed these submarines and it, it cost them two shifts of work and, and it uh, stopped the furnaces from operating and that's big money when it comes to a steel corporation you know and I got fired for four days but I went to the group and I talked about it and and they loved and cared for me you know and uh, at that same time I, I, I flipped out that same week and I beat up Three people I sponsored twice in one week, and then I went out and I went to the Spanish bar. And the first guy walked out, I hit him, and I was lost. I was insane, and I went to that meeting and I talked to them people, and they and they pointed to a second step, and they said, "Bill, see, I was I was also evaluated that the year clean, that I was insane, and I needed to be on medication for the rest of my life. I also got thrown out of a halfway home at that time on that I lived in a one way street. See, because I didn't know where to go back then." So all I knew was I needed to stay clean and I moved into a garage when I got thrown out. And I got thrown out because I would only go to Narcotics Anonymous. Because I wouldn't follow their rules and I wouldn't do medication. Not because I didn't go to meetings because I went to meetings daily. Not because I I wouldn't stay clean because I refused to use. I got thrown out for violating their rules. Because I was supposed to, they said I had to go somewhere else for recovery. They said it wasn't here in Narcotics Anonymous. And they said it, it was all right to do medication because it was prescribed. And they said I had brain damage. And I, all that happened in one week's time. Becoming my sponsor's sponsor, losing my job, beating up all, all the people I sponsored, working someone else over, and getting thrown out of a halfway home, being evaluated as being insane. And I walked into the room that night, and they pointed to our second step. And they said, but you can be restored. And that was a spiritual awakening. I could be restored. I did not have to keep living that way. And they said it was a word called faith. And it was a word that other people are doing it. There's other people that were just like me that were their lives were changing. And it was about a half year later I met my, my second sponsor at the second East Coast Convention. It's where I believe I truly met Narcotics Anonymous. It's where I met the spirit of Narcotics Anonymous. It's where I met the sponsor I have today he was the banquet speaker there and I met I met my sponsor I had for five years there and he handed me a gray book and a four-step inventory guide and he told me to work the steps or die MFR. I'm not gonna use the words I'm gonna be polite okay uh, and I looked at him and I want to beat this man he gave me a five-minute southern hug and I thought there was something wrong with the man See, he touched me inside, he touched that there, that soft, sensitive person. And he touched that person that my father said should be a girl. He touched that person that, that, he touched that sexuality problem I had in my life. Cause I didn't know my sexuality. I didn't know what a man was. And I had all kind of visions, but never know. I couldn't touch it. And I feared. I feared when people touched me. I feared when they touched that child and I feared what it meant the individuals, and all the the problems with it. I couldn't be a man. Because there were so many restrictions I, I placed upon myself. I placed so many restrictions upon myself that I was in slavery. I was in slavery. I can tell you about the bars that there is no prison out there that is thicker than the bars that addiction put me in. Addiction. Had the bars built so thick that you couldn't touch me and when you did touch me it scared me and I wanted to run and the only way I knew how to run was to to fight and I couldn't use these no more I couldn't use no weapons no more I couldn't go back to where I came from because I couldn't survive out there and my life was in, in, in shambles and I needed help and I surrendered to Narcotics Anonymous Narcotics Anonymous is a way of life for me today and when they gave me that gray book and I read it, it was experience, strength, and hope of addicts. And, and I met that man and, and I hated him so much I, I got him to be my sponsor because I disliked him. And I wanted what he had. And what he had, what it seemed like, he had some type of serenity. He had something that he could move amongst people. And I couldn't do that. Because the only people I could move amongst, where I got to my own. I found all the scooter traffic to the East Coast and that's what I become part of. And we sat down and talked the war stories all night. You know, we sat down and talked about our, our brotherhood we had out there. But we weren't touched. What brought us together was our own fear of being amongst these other people. I met a lot of good people there that are part of my life today. See, there's a whole lot of people that were part of that writing of that basic text that became my friends, that are my friends today. There's a whole lot of people that were part of that literature movement that touched me. And they got me involved in service. I was involved in service, yes, but I wasn't involved because I hated serving. I had no gratitude. And I point fingers at what you're not doing. And this man used to tell me, but Bill, who's opening the door up? i am somebody is then what are you bitching about doors open the coffee's on the literature's out and someone's sitting there chairing the meeting he said it doesn't matter that it it's just you somebody's going to come in and you're going to be there for him see because i went through a radical s- stage when i got that gray book i went home and i i threw all the other literature that was on the tables in the garbage can and i, and I let them people know that this is our book it wasn't approved or anything, but this was our book and this was our literature and if you don't like it, we can take care of it. And that one guy had about 10 years from somewhere else and, and I was ready to take him out and he went home where he came from. He went back home and he's getting whatever he's getting, where he's getting it from. But addicts started to recover in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Narcotics Anonymous became Narcotics Anonymous through other people. Because at the 2nd East Coast, what I met was addicts from all over the country at one spot. And I didn't get to go with them, but they came to Warren, Ohio afterwards. They go to a literature workshop. They come to participate in Narcotics Anonymous. I had to go home and go back to work, but they touched me at that moment. and, And they gave me something that no one ever gave me before. They touched that inner spirit. And that's what we're talking about a spiritual program. And that's what we talk with is our spirits, not our personalities, not our faces. If we could shut off the lights and, and run our voices through, uh, change our voices, and not, not hear the personality and just hear the message, you could feel the spirit. And I've been in meetings where you, I felt the spirit in the rooms. You just feel the energy of God's presence, for God has touched me and plenty of others. And that's what's happened to me in Narcotics Anonymous early in my recovery. And they taught me about writing steps. Not me. I'm a ninth grade walkout. Always something negative, never anything positive. They told me to get a dictionary. They told me to define the words and get to know the words that I'm writing about. To separate my ego, my needing to be right all the time. And, and they taught me about that stuff. And they cared for me. You know, and my life became an obsession, a good obsession. I become obsessed and compulsive Narcotics Anonymous. My life became Narcotics Anonymous as my sponsor shares. My, sh- my sponsor shares he is addiction. He shares that we are addiction. He shares that he is N.A. He shares we are N.A. And that's what it's about. I don't seek to become social acceptable. I am social acceptable, though, today. They'll mail me their MasterCards and their Visa cards, pre-approved stuff. I'm social acceptable. I'm the guy that I didn't want to become all my life. I became the guy next door that mows a lawn, <laughs> plays with the children, does a little fishing. The boring life that I didn't want to become because I seek... The, the excitement, the night lights. I was a light, uh, a night freak, a light freak, whatever you want to call it, that was me. Running around out there all scattered brained, not being able to grasp one of my thoughts because they were all, always out there somewhere, somewhere else, but never here. I'm the guy that, that went from Allentown, Pennsylvania to wherever I ended up, and guess what? Every time I got there, I was stuck with myself. I didn't get away, I couldn't run away from that mirror, that's myself. When I went to New Orleans in 76, trying to escape, trying to find a new life, I woke up uh, out there on Lake Ponce training on a house on stilts, feeling miserable, hating myself, and not knowing how to get out of it. Nothing changed. I looked around and different faces, but the same personalities I was attached to. Same type of people I left were there with me. Same environment. I didn't get away from it, and that happened throughout my life. Always one catastrophe after another, getting married, getting a getting mental discharge for being mentally unadaptable to military life after two years of being in the Army, you know, uh, always having my job on the line, always running back to my parents trying to get something from them that they never gave me, expectations, controlled by that, and that was my life. And in here, you taught me how to detach from all that. You taught me how to detach from my parents and not expect from them because they don't have it to give. They don't have that love and care and compassion, that touch that you taught me. They don't have it to give me. They're victims of victims. And I had to come to understand that. I had to come to love them for who they are. But first, I had to come to love myself and to love you and to love you because you are who you are, you're addicts. I love you because you're addicts, not because of anything else, because you're addicts and you're very special. You're special to sit through here a whole day in a service committee and, and love each other and care for each other and not get into a free for all and be able to share our, our opinions, our, our lack of opinions, our ideals and still care for each other afterwards and be part of something special carrying a message of hope to the addict who still suffers. And that's the most, most important thing outside of staying clean for me is carrying of the message and what I'm doing to do it, what, how much energy I'm putting into it. I cannot give enough. I cannot give back what I've been given so freely. I don't got enough time in the day to give it all back. You just gave me my life that I never had. You just gave me a new life that I never thought I'd have. You know, it, uh, you gave me closeness and friendship. I mean, I'm real lucky. Out there, they always said, if you ever have five real friends, by the time you die, you're a lucky person. I consider myself to have... I don't know how many people are Narcotics Anonymous today, but I know there's a few hundred thousand of us, and I consider you all my friends. I sleep in your homes. You sleep in my home. You don't expect anything out of me, and I don't expect anything out of you. And you care for me. And and that was not to be expected from a person like me see i had a problem with god when i come here i've always believed in god let's get that straight but it was a problem with god he had too much control and i wanted it and that's been my problem all my life that man wherever he was at was controlling me and you know i used to vision god i used to vision god as this here big fat guy up there with a bald head and a little fat son and they are always, he'd pick you up and he'd look at, the kid would pick me up and look at me and his dad would tell him, put him down, don't hurt him. And that's what I envisioned God as, and his son. And I used to get angry. And I used to get angry at, at the lower power. I mean, I used to, my, my grandmother used to uh, tell my father, the guy's possessed, they want to do exorc, them exorcism stuff on me. Because I'd be, I'd be over there burning candles and playing Black Sabbath, Iron Man, and summoning Satan. Well, I wanted to do battle. I wanted to have both domains. I wanted to control the earth. And that's what I seeked in life. Control, power, prestige. And I didn't get any of it. I was humbled and brought to my knees by the disease of addiction. And the recovery from the disease of addiction is bringing me back up. You reached down and you pulled me out. And I like being in the trenches. I like being with newcomers. I think the newcomers are the most important person in our rooms. And the basic text shares that. You know, we're talking about um, the last to be lost is the dilemma of, of of being an addict, the stigma, and that is. A couple couple weeks ago, I was uh, I got this uh, certified letter, and and I'm I mean I'm screwing with my mind. What did I do wrong? You know, I'm, I'm I, I couldn't figure anything out, and then I had a talk myself in to go to pick this thing up. I went down and I signed for the thing and they gave it to me. I opened it up and it was something about my, my pension plan. And I ripped it up and I was ready to call up the Bethlehem Steel and say, what the hell are you people doing sending this certified? I realized it was my addiction. It was the fear because that's the way I've been all my life. Afraid of picking up things like that, because I've always done something wrong before. It's weird not having done anything wrong and having to go pick up stuff like that. It was weird going back to court at Six Month Queen and pleading guilty to a case that could have beat, a case that could have made me rich for that last assault and battery on a police officer. It was strange going back and, and there at Six Month Queen and surrendering and telling, when, when the judge says, uh, Mr. Allen, how do you plead? And I said guilty and my lawyer threw up his briefcase and says, what are you doing? We got this one in the bag. You're a rich man. I said, I don't care. And then the, the, the judge, they had a little talk, and then he started saying, well, we'll have a pre-sentence investigation. I said, you got a choice today. You're either sending me over to the joint, or you're letting me walk out of here. I don't have time for this. I need to get on with my life. And, and then he took my lawyer and the, the officer and the, the prosecutor in the back room, and they come out, and he said, you got a year ARD. That was the first offense I've ever had. I got a year ARD and that was from 1972 to 1979, a spree of criminal life, of always going back to court, always going to prison, always being locked up somewhere. And he said, you got a year ARD. And and, and I looked at him and I was stunned. And he says, we cannot do anything for you by putting you back in prison. We would harm you. You're doing what we wanted you to do all your life. And that's change. That's rehabilitate yourself. That's become a productive member of society. And that's getting honest. And that's what it's about, is getting honest with one's own self and that God and my sponsor. coming to grips with that so I can be honest with you. So I can come together with you and share that that loving, caring person inside. Not what I am in in, in a conference at WSC. Not the, the person I become when I'm in a political arena but the person as that one-on-one level of, of addict sharing. That's what it's about, touching each other spiritually, coming together with that, doing the inventories, and coming to, to be able to have God take, show me them defects so I can have the willingness and for him to take them from me and have him remove the shortcomings, the actions of my character defects from me. You know, and the, I think the most spiritual thing that ever happened to me is when I went to see my father one day and I didn't know when the time, the time was going to come to make amends to him for I had, had to make amends for him. First, I had to forgive him for what he did to me. I didn't have to ask. He didn't have to ask me for it. I had to come to that forgiveness for him. And I went up to see him one day and I, my wife and I walked in and I looked at him and I saw him for what he was, an addict. And it's the first time I could see him as an addict. Drunken out of his mind, and I looked at him, I said, Dad, you pick another beer up, I'm walking out. You don't want to see me today. And he picked that beer up, and I walked out. And I walked around the house, and he come behind me. And I turned around, and I come to tears. And I hugged him, and I asked him for forgiveness for what I had done to him all these years, and trying to harm him and hurt him. And I had to do the same with my mother for abandoning my five sisters and me in a house when we needed her most and she moved in with her boyfriend but I had to ask her for forgiveness for what I had done to her trying to harm her because I was the person blaming the world for what I had become and I was the person trying to harm them all the time and do things to them and it was hurting me and was trapping me and self and I was in prison and I had to let go of that that prison I had put myself into I had to ask for forgiveness I had to humble myself and throw all that their shit away and all that stuff that I had trapped in my mind, all that stuff saying what they did to me and looking for that and then justifying my behavior. I had to ask for forgiveness from a lot. I had to ask society for forgiveness and how I ask them for forgiveness is that by doing the things I used to do and changing, paying my bills on time, not seeking to get over when it's easy to get over at times. It's simple to get over it's hard not to get over, not to, to use that ability to get over to become honest when you when you can see it when it's when it's so easier and softer sometimes to lie a little white lie won't hurt but it hurts me because one lie becomes another lie and it becomes another lie and then I'm the one trapped and I'm the one that can't come out of the darkness into the light then I'm the one that can't survive in the light and the truth has to be able to stand in the light. The darkness, the lie cannot. And yes, I'm a revolutionist today. Revolutionist is, is in times of universal deceit, telling the truth is the revolutionist act. So that makes me a revolutionist and happy to be one. I'm trying to be part of a change in society. As my sponsor said, we can change the world with the power of love and the power of staying clean and carrying the message of hope. Because we touch as many people as we touch using clean. And imagine how many people that is. Imagine how much power of love is rubbing off onto other people. Imagine the addicts that are staying clean today throughout the world. And we're in a growing fellowship in Narcotics Anonymous. And I'm gonna be a rebel rouser, but I ain't gonna be a political rouser today. I'm gonna be a rebel rouser of carrying the message of hope. And inspiring excitement in other people because we belong in moscow we belong throughout every third world country in the world wherever there's addicts using we belong there carrying a message of hope to them and that's our job and i got to look at what is my job what what do i owe how much is this recovery worth what am i willing to give for it how much time am i willing to sacrifice and it's not a sacrifice I got it made today it's easy for me it's easy to sit home and turn a boob tube on it's easy to spend time with the family but what about answering the phone at three o'clock in the morning when the addict out there is suffering and it's time to get up what about that what about having to go out and pick pick an addict up in the, in the gallery somewhere or sit there with somebody that you don't know what they're going to do and they're talking weird off the wall shit and it's three in the morning and you're in a restaurant. And then you find out what's for real when you take that addict home and put them on your couch. Because my home is your home. My home, my doors are open. You ever come to Allentown, my doors are open and you got a place to, to sleep and you got a place to eat because I need you and I want you. Without you, I can't do it. We can't do it alone. I'm a person who needs people in my life today. And I need to get in in tune with the steps. I need to get in tune with the traditions. I I need Narcotics Anonymous. I need to know what's going on. You know, I need to be self-supporting. And I don't don't know about uh, all that stuff. The home group I'm in, we don't share about uh, the basket is the seventh tradition. The basket is not the seventh tradition. It's an action. It's a spiritual principle where we can give and be part of. The action of giving is the seventh tradition in any form. If it means just picking up the the ashtrays or cleaning up the meeting hall or doing anything that helps. And we demand to be so. Society doesn't have to live by these traditions. We do. Society doesn't have to live by these steps, but we do if we want recovery. I don't look at anything being suggested to me as a must if I want what you have. And it shares that in the preamble. If I want what you have, I will do and follow the principles that, that you have done before me. I will go to any length to receive it. And that's what Narcotics Anonymous is about for me. I believe in service. I believe in commitment. You know, I've been involved in, I don't know, everything that ever come up, I've got myself into. But what, what makes me happy is watching a newcomer walk into the room and spending time with that newcomer after the meeting. That's what makes me happy. I don't care about all the service that I've been involved in. It's that newcomer, that most important person that makes me happy. It's That newcomer It's rising above the personalities to work with someone that I may not like their personality, but work with that person to help a newcomer. That's what it's about. It's rising above that sickness inside. It's rising above my own personality. It's rising above everyone else's in the rooms and becoming one unit, becoming part of. And that's what Narcotics Anonymous has done for me. It's helping me. It's helping me come to know me. It's helping me come to know God. And God is important. Because you taught me about God here. You taught me about the love of God, the touching of God. You taught me so much that I can't give it back in, all, in words. The only thing I can do is share it whenever I'm with you, wherever we're together at, for riding down the highway or for flying in the air. You know, and the speaker that was supposed to be here tonight, him and I spent a week, I mean, a, a, a flight uh, in June. No, it wasn't June, it was last March. No, yeah, March, uh, we flew back from LA together. I was my flight was held up from 11 o'clock that morning to 11 o'clock that night, and I had to change flights, fly home in a blizzard, and uh, Dutch and I spent for the first time spent time together in our recovery in the back of the airplane talking about Narcotics Anonymous, about carrying the message of hope, about this here revolution we're involved in, and we spent five hours on the plane, and we landed in the we we landed that morning, and. uh there were uh, 50, 60 mile in our winds and everyone was pulling the pillows out and burying their heads and Dutch and I said get us a coke <laughs> and, and the stewardess said get your pillows and we said hey God didn't bring us this far to die here we got a job to do yet. And that job we had to do was carry the message of hope. that job we had to do was get in touch with faith and believe in God, believe in the power of you people. That job we had to do was whatever we were conjuring up in our minds up there and preparing ourselves for conference, to be spiritually in tune instead of being divided. A house divided will always fall. A house united will always rise to the top. You'll learn one day, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of history, I'm not sure. Then were special things to me, special moments. And there are moments that no one can take from me. They'll always be there. You know what I want to be, my dreams? I don't know if you ever dream about dying. But when I die, I know I want to be an old man I know I want to be able to look back over my life, and I don't want to have to say I didn't do what I want to do. I want to say, thank you, God, take me home. I had enough. I want to be set free. I want to be able to enjoy, as Joe Gribbett, I can't pronounce the last name, from Jersey, who come to Warren, Ohio, who died clean from a heart attack at 38 years old who come to Warren, Ohio to be part of the writing of the basic text, to be part of the spirit. I want to see 200, like was at his, his wake? I never witnessed a wake where there was 200 people at it and everyone was happy. And his, his casket was filled up with NA paraphernalia. A newsletter was dedicated to his, his life for what he was, carrying the message of hope and becoming part of carrying the message in Northeast New Jersey where there was no Narcotics Anonymous. He was the only man at the second east coast in the state of New Jersey at Trenton State University from New Jersey. That was their first convention that Philadelphia put on for them. I mean Philadelphia got the second east coast and took it out of state. And they took it to the next state aside of them, you know, and it touched one man's life in New Jersey. And out of that, Narcotics Anonymous started to grow, you know, and, and out of that other people's lives were touched. I don't know if anyone knew uh, little Joe from New Jersey, another man who was involved in service, another man that was committed to Narcotics Anonymous as the way of life. Well, Joe isolated himself at the end because he was dying. He was dying and couldn't reach out to his friends and he isolated himself. I went to his wake and I cried. because I saw what the disease had done, and he died clean. But I saw what the disease had done to him at the end because he didn't know how to reach out no more. Because that same way I used to serve out of anger and resentment and lack of gratitude. I learned about gratitude in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at WCNA 12. Our gratitude speaks. I went there angry and I went there upset. And I was so upset at that their theme, our gratitude speaks, because I had none. And I wasn't grateful for what I was doing. And I'm a grateful recovering addict today. I am grateful today and I have gratitude and gratitude is in action. But what I used to do is look to see what you were doing. And if you weren't doing it, I got upset. And I stopped looking to see what you were doing and start to look at what I'm doing. And the gratitude started to come out and it started to spread. And I start to be able to be loved, touched. People start to want to be involved in my life. I judge my recovery by how much my phone rings. I judge my recovery by how much, how large my bill is. I don't know anything about short-distance sponsors. You're lucky people if you got a sponsor in your own town. Okay? My sponsor still lives a thousand miles away from me. I, don't, I, I think I'd be confused if I had a local sponsor. I think it would mess me up have it be able to walk down to his door. And walk in because I'm one of the addicts. that had to reach out and I like that today I like talking to my, my sponsor on the phone for ours I like meeting them at different places in the country and sharing with them it, it makes me grateful to, to have that sponsor I have that takes time out for me and sponsorship is important if you don't have one find one if you don't have a home group find one Go to every group conscious and sit in and see if you like it. Find a group that fits you. Don't just join a group because someone says join a group. But find one that fits you, that you can feel comfortable in, that you'll feel ca- like carrying the message and being part of that group and, and the unity of that group. Find a group that you can sit in and your amenity is not violated because of personalities. Find a group where, where you feel like you're part of. And that's what I did. I found the group that I'm part of. I found a group that I can sit in and be part of and people respect me and I respect them for their thoughts. And I couldn't do that before. I found a family and my family is right here. My family is you. You are my family. You're my brothers and sisters. And that's the important thing. I don't have to have a blood family because I found that family and that's the important part I found something that's worthwhile for me I'm detaching from where I work you know they're trying to take my workman's comp from me and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter they can take whatever they want they can't take the spirit that you gave me they can't take my my, my children's smiles they can't take my wife's smile they can't take my friends from me so they can have my house, they can have my money, they can have my car, but i still got me. And i still got you. And I still can get down to basics, because that's what it's about, basics. Getting involved, learning how to write, learning how to share, learning how to call and reach out. That's what it's about for me. I don't know what it's about for anyone else, but I know what it's about for me, and that's what I can share about. I can share what Narcotics Anonymous is to me. It's my perception. No one else's. Others may perceive it like I do. Others may touch me with their spirits. Like my sponsor shares, he sees a lot of lights out there, and they're all glowing, and the lights are your eyes, and they're shining back. They touched me today. They made me feel part of this room. I, when I walked in that door, I felt that I was at home. When I walked into Mac's house this morning, I felt that I was home. There was a guy from Florida that I met when he first was driving a bicycle to Miami Beach we looked a little bit different then we both had long hair we we're both excited about recovery still are but we're a little bit more more uh energy or not I don't want to say energy a little bit more insane energy <laughs> but it was neat because that's I remember when my sponsor told me after the second East Coast when I got this man he said you got to go to the next NA function there is I said you're nuts because the next NA function was three months down the line and it was in Miami Beach. And I thought, man, this guy's crazy. I'm gonna go to Miami for a function? And he told me, you gotta go, Bill. And I says, I don't want to go. He says, but it ain't about what you want to do, it's what you gotta do. And I went. And guess what I did the night before I left? I was, I was working, we are down the platform pouring steel, and I was a platform man, I had to take tests, and I, I surrendered cigarettes. And the old steel pourer was so upset. I'm ripping up two cartons of Cools and I'm talking to God out loud. And they're ready to call up the insane asylum for me because they thought I went back on drugs. (laughs) And this guy, he wants to stop pouring the steel and grab them cigarettes. And the next day I rode to Miami Beach straight through. Got two speeding tickets. One in Georgia and one in Florida. I couldn't learn, but the closer I got to that convention, the further that gas pedal went down. And the faster I went. And, and when I got there, I felt at home. And, and I didn't pick up a cigarette through that whole convention. What a miracle. In a smoke-filled room in Miami Beach, Florida, where the cloud was about from here on up, and you couldn't see, and the eyes were watering, and I didn't pick up a cigarette. And that was God's touch and God's love and surrender to God. I couldn't do it alone. But none of you were blowing smoke in my face, and... Trying to poke cigarettes at me, as people used to do, when I tried to stop something. Didn't offer me anything, because you knew I was trying to do something. You treated me fairly, treated me equally, and you helped me. And that's what addicts do for addicts. They help each other. And that's what it's about. You know, and, uh, it's about questioning me, not allowing me to get out there in the left field somewhere. When you see me losing it, you just bring me back. You get a fish. I'm mean, it's like a fish going fishing. You, you cast out, you catch the fish and reel it in. When I'm out there, you cast out and you reel me in. And you tell me what I need to hear. You're my eyes, you're my ears. And I learned that in the basic text of recovery. He wrote it for me. And it made sense. He taught me about more be revealed. He taught me about just for today. Getting down on my knees and praying. He taught me about that there meditation. Taught me about 12-step work. Oh, there ain't no 13th step. Did you know that? It's called not living steps. That's what it is. You just haven't got there yet. The 13th step is the first tradition. There are 24 spiritual principles. The 12th step just flows right on in. That's all it does. Because part of the unity. Our unity. And what is our unity? Our language. We're addicts. Our unity is is coming together, sharing with each other. We know what we're talking about when we're talking about doing an inventory as my sponsor shared. We ain't talking about going down the basement and checking to see what we have down there. We're talking about going down the basement, yeah, in here. But we know that. That's our unity. Our unity is sharing with each other and touching each other. We know what we're talking about when we stay with clean. We know what we're talking about when we're talking about recovery. We're not talking about no hospital bed, where they just did an operation on us. We know what it's about. We know what it's about when we're talking about living, living in the solution, in, in the miracle. We know what, it, what we're talking about. When someone says, you got to make amends. We know what we're talking about. We know what we're talking about when someone says, look in the mirror, Bill. We know what we're talking about when someone's called your sponsor. We're not talking about the guy that's paying for us to to get our car in the race. We know all that stuff. That's our unity. We know what we're talking about when we're, our unity when we're sitting in a group conscience at two in the morning. And we all got to go to work the next morning. But we know a job got to be done to make sure that door is open for the next addict. We know that stuff. And that's our unity. Our unity is our common welfare and what is our common welfare and that's carrying the message of hope making sure the rooms are available for the next person our common welfare is that we're staying clean and finding recovery together and that's what it's about for me today what's about for me is coming to know you and for you coming to know me and sharing that that peace that i found in you back with you and that's what it's about for me and uh i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you go right now and have a good time and I'm going to ask you to hug each other again before we close and I'm going to thank you for allowing me to share and I love you and thank you